Welcome to the Campbell Conversations. I'm Grant Reher. My guest today is an accomplished mental health clinician who's also a movie buff, and he thinks that movies can help us better understand mental illness. Dr. James Charney is a practicing child and adolescent psychiatrist on Yale University's medical school faculty, and he's also the author of a new book titled Madness at the Movies, Understanding Mental Illness Through Film. Dr. Charney, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Glad well, to be here. Glad you could be here with us. It's a really interesting book. Let me just start with a little uh, background question. Why did you decide to write this book at this moment in time? Well, I'm going to have to give you the short version of this because because this is a story that could probably fill our half hour. Um, <laughs> okay. uh, uh, I've been wanting to write this book for the better part of 20 years. Um, before that, I was teaching this uh, the, the subject of this book as a course at Yale for undergraduates, for seniors. Uh, and it was, uh, it was a seminar that was um, uh, uh, supported or uh, sponsored by two different departments because um, the subject of the of the course, Madness at the Movies, straddled two disciplines. It was um, about uh, abnormal psychology, and it was about film. Uh, and uh, it was an attempt to use film to uh, to understand abnormal psychology, but also to use the watching of the films to improve your ability to observe and to analyze, and also to learn a little bit uh, about how films uh, have their effects. What's the craft of film that make them work? Um, I, I've always found that fascinating. So I taught that course for about 15 years at Yale. And um, and then uh, as I retired and um, uh, spent more time away from New Haven, um, I wound up having opportunities to teach the course um, in other places, um, versions of the course. But in the back of my mind always was, uh, I really would like to record this as a book um, to share it with a wider audience, but also a little bit as a as, as a legacy to be able to have a, a place um, where a project that was really a passion of mine for so many years um, uh, could people could relive it and experience it, and if they ha if they haven't experienced it in person when I was teaching it, um, they could uh, uh, enjoy it uh, on on their own. However, I never got down to writing it. I had a hard time imagining how I could write about the movies. Um, in, 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 I couldn't expect people to watch the movies just because they had bought my book or wanted to read the book. When I was teaching the course, every one of the students watched the movie the day before. It was right. fresh in their mind. They watched it together. It was a, it was a shared experience. And, um, uh, and as a result, we, it was fresh in everyone's mind and we were able to refer to it, talk about it, analyze it in detail. How do you deal with that in a book that uh, people are going to be reading? They may not have seen the movie. They may have uh, difficulty accessing uh, the, the film. And uh, and also just uh, ballpark uh, uh, procrastination, just ordinary procrastination. It just <laughs> didn't happen. So um, I was very, very lucky um, that I have a son who's well-published. And, and, um, and as he keeps churning out books, he would say, Pop, do you want to get this book done? And I would say yes. And then he'd say, should I keep nudging you? And I'd say yes. Um, but I didn't do anything. And what made it happen was COVID. Because mm. all of a sudden, I was pretty much in lockdown. And I had no excuse. And by that time, I had been obsessing about it long enough that I figured out, I thought, a way to make the book accessible to people who didn't necessarily have the movie in front of them. And it's funny, um, uh, I, I've talked to several authors on this program uh, in the last couple of years where COVID is the answer to this question. <laughs> I 
right? Well, it certainly helped me. Uh, so I had no excuse. My son was very good. He helped me organize a proposal. He helped, uh, 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 helped me uh, choose the various publishers to present it to. And uh, once I found a publisher, Johns Hopkins University Press, um, uh, I was on a roll. And I discovered something that I, I actually knew is I love writing. And right. I loved researching it. Um, I, I loved reliving the course. And um, it was it was it, it was the best year and a half or two years I've spent. So uh, it was it was it was very gratifying. And I guess that's a, that's a long answer to your short question. <laughs> well, you've already spoken to the thing I wanted to ask you next, which is some of the ways in which movies can help our understanding of mental illness. And you talked mm -hmm. about that at the beginning about how you use it in your course. One of the things in particular that I was wondering about that I wanted to get your reactions to was whether you think movies can help viewers have more of a sense of empathy for people who are suffering from mental illness, um, because there is a lot of judgment in our society about this. Do you think that movies have can, can help with that? I really do think they can. Um, and it's one of the reasons it matters to me um, if films portray uh, various mental illnesses accurately, even if their agenda isn't necessarily to teach. Um, for instance, a movie that I um, I, I, I uh, have a, a, a great deal of uh, mixed feelings about is the movie Joker that was uh, very, very big and very popular just before COVID hit. Um, in, in fact, it, it uh, is the uh, f film, the R-rated film with the largest box office in history uh, internationally. And so it was a very, very big film, and it portrays uh, the Joker character. It's an origin story. It portrays it um, as though it is taking it very seriously. It, it, it's it's a, a one-off in, in the world of, of, of comic book movies, trying to, to, to really kind of get under the skin of what would make somebody become an arch villain. And the problem is that it doesn't trust its um, audience, I think, in that it uh, throws so many different incompatible mental illnesses into this one character that it's it's a bit of a mess and and i think it's a missed opportunity because there would have been a very it could have been straightforwardly a portrait of the making of a psychopath it could have been straightforwardly the portrait portrait of somebody who had maybe a borderline personality disorder or or had problems with mood because we 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 know that in the film um they do show um uh joker uh acknowledging that he's had periods of, of deep depression um instead they 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 hand us um a mix of symptoms that um covers such a broad category that you can't categorize them. And as a result, you can't really understand them. And yes, people didn't watch this movie to be taught about mental illness, but would it have hurt for them to do it right? And yet I think they could have told the very, very good story. Now, as a teacher um, in my book and in the course, every once in a while, I would choose a very good movie that was very bad in its portrayal of mental illness be because showing what they got wrong was another way of, of getting at what's right. Um, if, if you point, if you can point out something and say, this doesn't happen this way, or it doesn't happen, if this person has this problem, he's not going to have a separate symptom that reflects another problem. Uh, and um, so showing a bad movie or discussing a bad movie could be educational too, but I would much rather uh, 
talk about and, and experience a film that gets it right, gets under the skin of it so we can kind of really experience what it might be like to have that illness. And if you, as a, as a, as, as a member of the audience, are witness to that, you're going to be empathizing. You can't help it. Uh, and so I think it's it, it's a wonderful thing. It can remove the stigma because it's presented in a way that allows you to imagine maybe I could have that problem. I'm Grant Reher. You're listening to the Campbell Conversations on WRVO Public Media. And my guest is Dr. James Charney, a clinical psychiatrist and the author of Madness at the Movies, Understanding Mental Illness Through Film. So you talked about the Joker, and that was something else I wanted to ask you about in terms of we have, we have a sense of the upsides of this. This is about the downside. Do you, do you think, though, that that Hollywood has tended to make us view people with mental illness as more dangerous than the average person on the street? Oh, yes, oh, absolutely. Um, uh, in part because it's a film that shows someone who's kind of benignly off-center uh, is not necessarily that engaging or that interesting. Um, so, uh, so they, they ramp it up. I mean, you know, it is true that a percentage of people who do violent things uh, are psychopaths. It is, it, it, but it's not a, a, the majority of them by a long shot. Uh, yet you might think that the world is filled with psychopaths. So you look to your left, you look to your right, and there must be one there. Um, the, the film seemed to suggest that uh, in part because it, that's what's exciting. That's what's, what's dramatic. Um, similarly, um, uh, it, films often suggest that someone who is violent um, uh, might be violent if they're psychotic, if, if they're not in touch with reality. And in fact, the opposite is true. If there's any violence in someone who is psychotic, it is usually um, uh, toward themselves. It is much, much less, much less likely that the violence will, will be toward other people. Um, though you, that can happen if someone is paranoid enough and psychotic enough that he or she thinks that someone is out to hurt them in a really aggressive and meaningful way, they could strike out. But mm -hmm. the percentages are very, very small, and mm -hmm. movies don't don't match that percentage. Yeah. So you mentioned the movie Joker having such a, a huge audience worldwide and and the impact that it had. I did want to ask you. Let's set the Joker aside for a minute. Yeah, please do. Give me, give me the, give me the like three or four, and just name them. I don't go into detail about each one, but the three or four movies in your mind that have had the biggest impact on the public's understanding about mental illness. I mean, several come to my mind, but I'm curious how your choices are going to match up with mine. Well, you're asking a question that's a little bit different from one I, I prefer to answer, which is uh, <laughs> how the uh, how movies that have affected the public's um, understanding of mental illness more than others, because I'm not exactly sure how to measure that. Um, I can tell you the films that I think- Your hunches, your hunches, because you're a movie buff and, well, a, and a psychiatrist. Well, so. for, for instance, um, a Prozac Nation was a film that that that- brought the conversation to the table, the, the, the whole concept of, of, of someone who was so depressed they needed to be hospitalized and whether or not medications could, could be helpful. Um, that was a, based on a memoir. Um, uh, it was a, basically a true story. Um, and um, uh, what's her name? Elizabeth Wurzel, I think, was the author of that. Mm. And, um, and it was made into a very good movie with Angelie uh, Jolie, uh, Jolie and mm. Winona Ryder. And um, uh, 
no, I've got that wrong. That's Girl Interrupted. I gave right. you the wrong film. Yes. Also, yes. another film that um, that had a big audience and uh, portrayed mental illness sympathetically, dramatically. Um, got some of the details wrong, but it matters less because they got a lot of things right. Um, and uh, and it had a big impact. Again, putting the. Uh, Putting the conversation on the table, magazines were writing about it. Newspapers were 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 uh, printing articles judging how accurate it was or how inaccurate it was. As a result, people were thinking about it. Um, the film that that inspired my course and um, and the book um, is a movie that was a big big hit called Ordinary People, directed oh, yeah. by by Robert Redford. It won the Oscar um, of, for its year, which I think was 1980. Um, it's a beautiful film. It's beautifully acted. Donald Sutherland, Timothy Hutton, and Mary Tyler Moore, uh, and, um, and Judd Hirsch playing probably the best psychiatrist uh, portrait in the movies. Um, and, um, and it's the film that inspired the course, because when I saw this film, I said, if I can find other films this good, this much that that, that this effectively um, get under the skin of a person with an emotional crisis, in this case, a beautiful portrait also of how it affects the family, right, and also a very very vivid and convincing portrait of how therapy can help. Hmm. Um, if I can find a few other films on different uh, types of uh, mental illnesses, uh, I, this is something that I think would be. Uh, the backbone of a course and then and then the backbone of this book hmm. so ordinary people is just a wonderful example of a movie that gets it right interesting you're listening to the campbell conversations on wrvo public media i'm grant reher and i'm talking with dr james charney he's a practicing child and adolescent psychiatrist on yale university's medical school faculty and he's also the author of a new book titled madness at the movies understanding mental illness through film so you gave me your two or three greatest hits, and certainly I remember Ordinary People being very powerful when I saw it. A couple that you didn't mention that I thought would be sort of the ones that people would point you right away would be Psycho, Three Faces of Eve. Well, let's start with those two. How come that didn't pop into your mind right away? Because those popped well, it, my it mind. obviously did because it's in the book, um, yeah. and and it was some. Of course, it was a film I I taught, but actually the reason I taught it um, was less for the portrait of the mental illness, which this one is a bit of a muddle too, um, and more for the fact that this movie changed the way we watch movies, and I thought that was fascinating. Mm. Mm. Um, it, it, be, because the ending was such a surprise, Hitchcock was brilliant at marketing, and he um, he pretty much invented the uh, you have to stand in line to get into the movie on time, and which was not the way movies were seen before. Um, so I found that interesting. Psycho um, is, seems to um, want to suggest that we're dealing with somebody with um, a multiple personality disorder. Um, uh, uh, but or and what's very nice is that they, they do have a psychiatrist at the end who calms you down after the excitement of the movie, saying, um, "No, that's not the case, and it's also not the case that he's um, a, a transvestite." Um, but in fact, he has a psychotic disorder, but that kind of gets lost in the shuffle. Um, so it's not, it, it's a, it's a powerful film, it, 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 but, and it points to some kind of mental illness, but it doesn't tell us really what's going on. Mm -hmm. And what was the other one you mentioned? Um, oh, I mentioned Three Faces of Eve. You don't need oh, to comment on that. That's, that's, that goes back a ways, but yeah. The, 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 the brief comment about Three Faces of Eve is it has, a, it's a mediocre film with mm -hmm. a powerhouse performance by Joanne Woodward. Right. But it's almost like, um, 
it's almost like a classroom documentary. It keeps on explaining, over-explaining things. It's a clunky screenplay. Um, it doesn't, it, 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 it's, it's a film that doesn't hold up. Uh, mm. It's very much of its time. And you, you mentioned one of the things you liked about Ordinary People. I'm kind of jumping around here, but you've given me different things to think about, was the portrayal by Judd Hirsch of the therapist. Yes. And I don't know if this is in your book, but I wanted to get your take on um, the movie Goodwill Hunting, because that mm -hmm. has a portrayal of a therapist as well that is featured quite heavily in the book. What's your thought about that one? Uh, that Not, is of course, with Robin Williams. Robin Williams being the therapist, I should have mentioned yeah, that. But I mean, go ahead. I would have loved to be in the same room with Robin Williams. I'm not necessarily <laughs> as my therapist. I actually have the final chapter of the book is on therapy, how therapy is portrayed right. in, the, in the movies. And, and that's where I talk about goodwill hunting. The Robin Williams character breaks about a dozen therapy rules. Um, among other things, you don't choke your patient um, because he presses the wrong button emotionally. And um, and he lectures more than teaches therapy. But what what is... What is very good are several early scenes where he does something where he um, is engaging um, the Matt Damon character by talking his language and by mm. saying that they have some shared experiences. Right. Um, this is this is a very good way for a for a therapist who is using a model that more, more family therapists use this model more. They're more, much more talkative and much more revealing about their own persons than someone who's got an analytic background or a psychodynamic background where, where there's, right. there, there tends to be a, an insistence that the therapist is, is relatively neutral or even invisible as a person in the room. Um, but if you're willing to uh, uh, acknowledge who you are as a human being with your patient, um, you that you can help the patient begin to feel like you can understand him or her if you are able to say i've had that experience too or at least i know about that experience and um and robin williams does that he um he talks about the fact that they're both weight lifters he talks about his relationship with his wife um he uh he he acknowledges how brilliantly attention uh, intelligent the will hunter hunting character is but at the same time makes the point that being intelligent intellectually doesn't make you intelligent emotionally yeah. and and so that that's where he falls into i'm a little bit he's a little bit too full of himself and he talks too much uh, as i'm doing right now <laughs> <laughs> well it's your book <laughs> so um well it's a very good movie and a very entertaining film yeah yeah so um two other questions about the movie specifically and then i have some other questions for you more generally but is there one movie that you think has had the worst impact in terms of misinforming our understanding of mental illness? The the one that would be at the top of, instead of your hall of fame, your hall of shame. Hmm. I can't think of a worst. Um, very commonly, if I mention to people, um, you know, maybe I'm being introduced to them at a party or something that about something about my book or the course, they hear the title madness of the movies. And the very first movie that is, that comes to mind is one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Mm. Uh, we are always saying, are you teaching one flew over the cuckoo's nest? Yeah. That's not a bad portrayal, but it is a very shallow portrayal. And it really is not a good movie to teach about the experience of mental illness because it's not about that. Um, and, and, and um, it, it's about, um, the politics of psychiatry, the politics of therapy, and 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 how um, uh, hospitals can misuse um, or mistreat 
people um, who have some kind of mental illness. And also at the time, it was also a portrait of some people who retreated to the life in a hospital when you could, when you could stay indefinitely in a VA hospital, for instance, um, simply because they couldn't quite deal with the world outside. Um, so it, it, it was more about politics and society than it was about any one individual. As a result, it, it's not a teachable film uh, about psychology. Um, so it doesn't make it a bad film. It's an extraordinarily good film with, and wonderfully well acted, beautifully directed. Um, it's a favorite of mine, but it's um, but not on this subject. That's interesting. I, I, I don't know. Do you have one that you were thinking of that is particularly? No, bad? no, no. Uh -uh. Because because I I you know I I'm probably one of the people that's been misinformed by these things. But but uh, but that's a real interesting take on one flew over the cuckoo's nest. If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Campbell Conversations. I'm Grant Reher, and my guest is Dr. James Charney. He's the author of Madness at the Movies: Understanding Mental Illness Through Film. Uh, I've got a more personal question from my perspective, actually, for you, if I could. And it's about the uh, portrayal uh, by Hollywood of uh, people on the autism spectrum. And mm -hmm. um, certainly when you bring that up, Rain Man comes to the front of everybody's mind. But uh, my son is on the autism spectrum. And uh, mm -hmm. recently, well, a couple of years ago, we watched a, a TV series on uh, Amazon called As We See It. I don't know if you've seen that. But... I, I don't know that one. Oh, okay. You might want to check that one out because the, the show uh, does a good job demonstrating the fact that if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. Uh, right. But at the same time, it did capture some shared tendencies. And 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 as we were watching it, uh, it resonated both with with me and with my son. And so you know, it was it was it was interesting for. To not only to watch the show, but to watch us watching it. Uh, and I just was wondering, uh, are there particular films that you think have have done a good job with that particular uh, issue? There, there are. Um, first of all, one of the issues, one of the difficulties in even talking about autism in the films, uh, or, or talking about it at all, is it really is a spectrum disorder, which means, which is uh, speaking to what you were just mentioning about that program, um, which is that um, there are so many different uh, ways that it's expressed, so many yeah. different degrees of disability. Um, and by no means do we have an understanding of them. So to use, to say someone is autistic, they could be so compromised that they can't in any way take care of themselves and can barely leave the house. Or you can have somebody who's just a little bit eccentric um, and, and yet it fits the autism um, uh, definition. Um, and uh, you know, in general, uh, one of the common elements is a, a difficulty kind of reading other people's expressions, a, 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 a need for sameness, a difficulty um, transitioning from one moment to another or one focus to another. But the, de the, the degrees are just dramatic. Rain Man is a very good portrait of a certain kind of autism. Um, and uh, I can't put my finger on a, on a particularly good film, not that there aren't, aren't any, but I'd have to think back and, and kind of remind myself of, of the mm -hmm. autism. Um, I actually don't deal with autism in the book and I never did in the course either. I just right. had to choose my diagnoses. Um, sure. And uh, so I, I, I haven't researched it as much, but I'll tell you, there is a film, there's a TV series that does a wonderful job of portraying the essence of a high functioning person with autism. And it's the um, uh, extraordinary attorney Wu 
on mm. on I believe it's on Netflix. Um, do, do you know it? I don't know. Uh -uh. It's a Korean show. It's a it's a series. It's not a movie, but it's a, uh -huh. it's a series of about thirty five episodes, and it is charming. The lead is a young woman who um, has many many uh, symptoms of autism, um, but um, she uh, she becomes the very first lawyer attorney practicing attorney in Korea. Um, as an autistic person, and it's a, it's a fictional story, but it's very real in terms of its its portrayal of the society, and it's a terrifically engaging movie. And the woman who plays the part has an Audrey Hepburn kind of charm. Nice. It's, it's a comedy drama, and I would recommend it. It's sweet and it's accurate. Great, I'll check it out. So we've got about a couple of minutes left. I want to squeeze uh, a couple two two questions at least in, if I can, because. Uh, I'd really be remiss if I didn't get to one of these. But first of all, uh, briefly, are other than film, are there other artistic mediums in your experience that you have found particularly good at conveying important aspects about mental illness? Well, um, the, one of the things that a novel can do, and there are many novels, and, and don't put me on the spot to name titles right now, mm -hmm. but, but, but there, uh, there are many novels that are very good portraits of, of mental illness. And one of the things they're able to get at that films don't do so well is beyond the behaviors that can tell you how a person is thinking. Yeah. Um, films don't do that as well. Right. Um, certainly uh, artistic expression can convey uh, emotional uh, uh, problems, not just disabilities, but emotional feelings, um, whether it's painting, whether it's sculpture, whether it's craft art. Um, so there's so many ways that it can be expressed in a way that can communicate the experience to someone else. Yeah, back in the 80s, I thought German expressionism that I saw a lot of these in galleries in New York was, was very powerful that way in terms of emotional yeah. pain. So last question is, and I, I should have given you more time to answer this because it's where you start your book, but you grew up liking horror movies, even though they scared you. And at the beginning of your book, you told a story about seeing the creature from the Black Lagoon and then having nightmares. I had to laugh out loud when I read that because I had exactly the same experience. I was drawn to that thing and then regretted it. But it, just in a minute uh, or even less, tell us about the natural relationship between movies that incorporate mental illness and horror. And horror. Yeah. Um, the, short, the short version is that horror films are really good at um, tapping into some of the deepest fears we have. Um, it's, it's not just fears of death, it's fears of, 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 of pain, there's fears of the unknown, um, fears of people or experiences that are just different enough to be uh, unnerving. And, um, and all of those are part of the experience of someone who has a mental illness. They're also part of our own normal emotional experience in the ups and downs of life. Mm -hmm. So um, horror, you know, cranks up the intensity and and often the, the level of violence. Um, uh, and, and somehow in in, really, in 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 experiencing it in a horror film, we can often say, well, I'm glad that's not happening to me. <laughs> well, we'll have to leave it there. That was, it's a really interesting book. I, I recommend it to everyone who's listening. It's both fun and it's really informative at the same time. That was James Charney. And again, the title of his book is Madness at the Movies, Understanding Mental Illness Through Film. Dr. Charney, thanks again for taking the time to speak with me. Thank you, Grant. I really have enjoyed the conversation. Me too. You've been listening to the Campbell Conversations on WRVO Public Media, conversations in the public interest.
The Campbell Conversations, Conversations in the Public Interest, is hosted and produced by Grant Reher, engineered by Tom Fazio. Assistant producer is Jacqueline Witwicky, and the program is edited by Mark Lefonier. The Campbell Conversations is a joint production of the Campbell Public Affairs Institute at Syracuse University and WRBO Public Media. To learn more about the program and hear previous interviews, visit wrbo.org slash Campbell Conversations.